Hope Path Podcast is a Bible podcast from 1013 Ministries. We explore topics pertaining to the Bible, Christian life, doctrine, and verse-by-verse studies of the Scriptures. We hope to be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. The book of Jonah is one of the most underutilized and misunderstood books in the entire Bible. Most people know about Jonah and a whale, but have no idea what else happens in this book. This Bible study is meant to try and fix that. Jonah is in the Minor Prophets, just after Obadiah and right before Micah. It's a small book, but not small in content. It contains major truths about God's nature, the nature of man, hell, prophecies of Jesus, and much more. The book of Jonah has a lot to offer, and that's why it deserves a full-on Bible study, not just a cute picture for kids to color in Sunday school. The Book of Jonah, one of my favorite books. Let's get started. Let's get started. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. This portion of the study is called The Calling. The Calling. Jonah 1, verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Now, we're going to pause right there. From the start, we already see that there's a few things that are interesting about the book of Jonah. One thing is that it begins much different than your typical prophetic book of the Bible, if you will. You know, the prophets, mainly, they all start in very similar ways. Let's look at that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Notice how that starts. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. The Bible says this, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anahoth, in the land of Benjamin. Are you starting to notice a little bit of a uh, normality with these books? Look at Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 1 says, Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. This goes on. Let's read. Let's read two more. Let's read two more just so we can really point out the difference here. Hosea into the Minor Prophets. Verse chapter 1 verse 1 says, "The word of the Lord that came into Hosea the son of Beri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel." One more. One more. Joel. Joel 1 uh, verse 1 it says, "The word of the Lord that came to Joel the son of Pethuel. Pethuel. Now, what we see is a lot of those start with God telling the preacher something, and then basically the story from there on is the preacher's message to the people that they were delivering it to. But Jonah's different because the story is primarily about him. Now, if Jonah was like other books of the prophets, it would say something like, the word of the Lord that came to Jonah, a messenger sent to Nineveh, or something along those lines. But the, the norm of the books, of the prophets, is to recall a message given by God to the prophet to a certain group of people. Jonah is written in a way to where it showcases the messenger and not only the message. Now, why? Why is it like this? Well, this is the way God wanted it, first of all, but there's a lot that we can learn from this account. 
Because we could easily learn from just the message that God gave to Jonah to the people of Nineveh. Uh, it would be God sees the wickedness that's going on in the world. And if God wants to, God's going to uh, rain down and, and bring judgment to that wickedness if he sees fit or when he sees fit. But fortunately, with the book of Jonah, it's, it's so much more than that. We see how a prophet responds to God when he's called to deliver a certain message. That's, that's very valuable information for us in our Christian lives. And to anyone who's honest while we do this study through the book of Jonah, you're going to see areas that you lack in your life as well. Anybody who's really honest with the scriptures and allows the Holy Spirit to work on the heart, it's easy for us to beat up Jonah, but it's, 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 you're going to be able to look at your own self and your own heart and say, man, I wish I was better in this area. What Jonah's doing right here, I do the exact same thing. So I want you to keep that in mind as we work our way through the book of Jonah. Now let's look at verse 1 again. Jonah 1 verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Now notice that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what you have to understand is that we're in a different time, the time we live in right now. Things were much different in the Bible days. The law was given to Israel through Moses. The prophets were given visions and words from God to give to Israel and other nations. The apostles in the New Testament church us are given his word and we're told to go and preach that word to the entire world but in jonah's time they didn't have the luxury that we have right now they did not have the full bible like we have today and that we take for granted you know if if we want to know what god wants for our lives we can simply open up our bibles and look and that's something we take for granted that people did not oh they didn't always have that you know we have it made right now but Unfortunately, that's not always been the case. You know, at this time that the book of Jonah was written, uh, prophets were given a message from God, and it was straight from the mouth of God. They had no book to reference unless they wrote it down. So Jonah had God speak directly to him. And something I'd like to say about that is 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16 through 20 says this for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we have made known unto you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from god the father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son and whom i am well pleased this is re- referencing matthew 17 the mountain transfiguration look at verse 18 And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We also have a more, or we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, notice it says more sure words. More sure than the voice of God speaking from heaven? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what the Bible says. Now, we don't have to wait to hear a voice from heaven. We have God's word available to us right now, and we can read it any time that we want to. People want to claim that they would believe God if he would just make himself known to them. But the Bible tells us right here that we have something that's far better than that. We have something far better than God opening up the heavens and speaking down to us. 
we have the Word of God. The Word of God says that having His words put onto paper and put in a book for us, that is better than if we could actually hear Him audibly with our own ears. Fascinating stuff. The truth is, these kinds of people that say these things, they are never going to be, be satisfied. They will never be satisfied. They have no problem believing a man named Abraham Lincoln existed by reading first-hand testimonies. They have no problem reading something in a book and believing it. Uh, but if it's the things of God, it doesn't matter how many first-hand witnesses have been recorded. They just simply won't believe it because they don't want to. They choose not to believe it. They want God to just forget he spoke through his prophets, which penned down his word. Uh, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived in a perfect life, uh, died for us, died for our sins, was risen again, seen by many people. Then these people wrote down what God said and made the New Testament. And that's all been preserved perfectly for us today. They, they want God to forget all of that. That's not good enough. They demand uh, and they say they will not be satisfied unless God comes and speaks to them face to face. Well, the answer to that is God makes the rules, not them. They don't get to make the rules. God has already given us something so much better than that. And that is his word that he preserved for us. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Things don't work like this anymore. You see, all these people who, who claim, you know, God wants me to tell you something. Well, the thing with those kind of people is if they're saying God told me to tell you X and that thing is not in the Bible, then those people are lying to you. People want to claim all the time that God has given them some message. But you got to understand that these messages came from the person's heart. If they're not in the word of God, then these, these people, they're either delusional or... They're psychotic, uh, but these people who claim that God gave them a message, if, if it's not in the Bible, someone else besides God gave them that message. And I'm trying to be sensitive. I'm not trying to just be rude um, because I know a lot of people talk like this, but if they truly heard an audible voice, my friend, that that is not God. Maybe that's a demon. Maybe they're out of their mind um, in, in some kind of psychosis. Uh, but it's definitely not God, especially if, if they say something that is so contradictive to what God's word actually says. Now, on that subject, I would like to point out that there is a difference in feeling like the Holy Spirit told you something. Like if you're if you're reading your Bible and you say, man, God told me that, you know, I need to I need to be a more cheerful giver or, you know, God told me I need to uh, love my wife more or love my kids more. That's different because it's written down in the Holy Word. You can you can prove that. And the Holy Spirit is doing his job. He is showing us where we lack in that area. And he's choosing to work on our hearts and help us see that. That's different. You can say, you know, God told me. You know, God told me because God did. It, it's, it's in the Holy Word right there. Or if, if you have a certain decision in life to make, you can say, man, I just feel like, you know, God didn't want me to take that job or he didn't want me to move there. That's different because the Holy Spirit is still guiding and directing you but the problem is where people say you know god told me that you're going to get a new car you know and they say that god came down to them and spoke in an audible voice that's what i'm referring to in john chapter 16 verses 12 through 14 the bible says i have yet many things to say unto you but you cannot 
bear them now. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So the Holy Spirit is given to us the moment that we get saved. And as you study and you read your Bible, the Holy Spirit is going to be there teaching you things and guiding you into the truth. But also, it's normal to feel led by the Spirit in our day-to-day life. That's, that's what I'd like you to take away from this. It's important to know that you can feel like God is talking to you and God is leading you in a certain way. And the way, the reason you feel that way is because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, guiding you to make the right decisions. Now, Jonah, on the other hand, could not have been more mis- no he could he couldn't have been mistaken because we could easily say, "Man, I feel like God just didn't want me to take this job, and it turns out you were wrong. Maybe God was trying to lead you and wanted you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and he wanted you to take a certain job, and you didn't take it. Well, all you did was you kind of uh you d- you didn't perceive where God was trying to take you. you made a wrong you made a wrong choice, and that happens. Sometimes we think maybe God was leading us a certain way and it was, at our, it was our own thoughts and our own emotions. It, was, it wasn't God. That's, that's normal. That happens all the time. We mess up. Um, sometimes we're more led by our emotions uh, and what we think is right than we are the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not beating anybody up. I, I've done that before. There's times where we think God is trying to tell us something and it was wrong. Um, it, just, it was our emotions. It was something else. It wasn't God. But jo- Jonah has no excuse. Jonah has absolutely no excuse. He can never say, well, I felt like God was telling me this, but it was actually this because God actually spoke to him. God spoke to Jonah and told him clearly what he needed to do and what his assignment was. Now, what did the Lord tell Jonah? Let's look at that. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now, we see here a key characteristic of God. Something you have to note when you're reading this is that God is omnipresent. And this may be basic to some people, but maybe some people don't quite understand this. God is everywhere at every time. He sees every action that takes place. His ears hear every little whisper that we can make in our heart. Nothing gets past him. That's the reason we have to make sure our hearts are pure too, because we think... Uh, impure things and God knows about that and we ought not try to hide that from God we should confess that and act and ask him that he would renew us day by day and the wickedness of Jonah or the wickedness of Nineveh was no exception God saw every single action and every thought that was taking place down in Nineveh Jonah was he was told to cry against it and what I want you to understand is yes Jonah was told to cry against this but this is a message of love it's 100% a message of love. When a, when a preacher calls out sin, it should be from a place of love. Can people take this too far? Of course they can. Of course they can take um, preaching against sin too far, but it should be from a place of love and a place of genuine concern for that person. Generally speaking, a preacher preaching against sin is loving. And the world will tell you otherwise, but it but it truly is loving. What if... You have this doctor and they see this this patient and they tell this patient, hey, I'm diagnosing you with this disease. 
you have this disease and we need to work on fixing it. Is that doctor hateful or is that doctor being helpful? Well, he's, he's being helpful. Absolutely. Because he's helping that person see, hey, you have something that is destroying you and we need to find out what is going to make you better. You know, what if he said, um, hey, you're fine. But he knew in the back, he knew that this person had this terrible disease that was killing them. Well, then he would actually be hateful. That's what I would submit to you. You know, we can't just tell this doctor who diagnoses us with cancer or some other disease, hey, you know, why don't you worry about your own health, you judgmental doctor? Hey, don't treat the doctor like that. He's just trying to help, right? Now, what's unloving is allowing someone to believe that they don't have a problem. That's what can hurt people or cause them death. And there's a verse that shows us this, this example so perfectly. And this verse is Isaiah 58 and verse 1. It says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Now that message, of course, was to the children of Israel, but it's the same idea. It's the same idea. Jonah is told that he must cry against the city of Nineveh. He must show them how upset God is with their wickedness and their sins. And people could say, you know, oh, God is being mean. But the thing is, God isn't being mean. When he's telling Jonah to go do this, this is coming from a place of love. This is coming from extreme grace by God. This is extremely graceful. God had every right to just level the entire city for their wickedness. But instead, he chose to send Jonah it's truly an act of love. He decides to give them a chance to repent. It's important to know that God will judge the wicked. Of course he will. He can destroy the wicked and the evildoers at any moment that he sees fit. But at the same exact time, you've got to balance that righteousness of God with the fact that he is long-suffering and merciful. See, God isn't just sitting in heaven with his finger on the trigger, hammer pulled back, ready to come down on his heart. That's how a lot of people perceive God, but it's just not the truth. If you read your Bible cover to cover, you will see that the lies about God are out there. People say he's this hateful, mean God, but if you read your Bible cover to cover, I promise you, you will see a loving, compassionate God who's able to, to love. He, he, he's the example of how to love people. Yes, he's righteous. He has a, he has a reason to be righteous. He's perfect. He will judge eventually, but he loves people. He's long-suffering, and you see it over and over again in the Bible. He loves people, and he longed for them to do what's right, and he wants to show them mercy. It doesn't just happen to be, uh, oh, he ended up showing mercy. No, he, he desires to do that, and that's his first choice. He, he sets out to be merciful. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 tells us, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. See, God wants people to turn from their wicked ways and live. God doesn't bear the sword in vain, though. He's able and he's willing to come down hard on wickedness when he sees fit. But his first option always is for people to repent because he doesn't want to destroy people. He wants people to get it right. See, we don't just look at someone and assume that there's no hope for them. You know, we can't just look at someone and assume, you know, hey, this person's so wicked. I hate them. They're terrible. They do all these terrible things. There's, they're never going to get saved. They're beyond the hope of salvation. That There's no way this person will get saved. But I would submit to you that if they're still alive, 
if they were to soften their heart and repent and ask God to save them, God will save them. That is what God wants. That is God's first choice. And of course, if that person doesn't get saved, well, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. And that's what they deserve. And God is just for doing that. But God's first choice is for that person to soften their heart and to realize that they need a savior and to call out upon the Lord and ask him to save them. And God will save that person. Now, picture a person that uh, you would have seen in those days, uh, in the Bible times, and believed that, you know, this person isn't going to get saved. Well, one of those people in that time would be the Apostle Paul. When he was Saul, he was a Pharisee, and he was responsible for persecuting the early Christians and having them killed. In Acts chapter 8, we see that. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this, And Saul, that's, that's the Apostle Paul, and Saul was consenting unto his death. This is when Stephen's uh, being stoned for preaching Jesus. Notice it says he was consenting unto his death. He, he was advocating for this to happen. He was endorsing this. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church was, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now, Saul, of course, at this time he's referenced Saul, but he, he becomes the Apostle Paul, one of the one of easily the greatest Christians that ever lived. I don't think anybody would, would ever argue that for one second. But notice what he was doing. He was he was doing these terrible things to God's people. Now imagine this in our time. Imagine if someone was going door to door, breaking up Bible studies, taking people to prison for just for just for preaching Jesus. And what if he, what if this person was endorsing people to be killed for their faith in Jesus? What would we say about a person like this? Well, we'd probably say they're never going to get saved. They're they're too wicked. They're too far gone. God can never use them anyway. Uh, these we would look at one of these people and say they're not going to get saved. But We've seen here that even somebody that terribly wicked doing that much harm and to God's people, we see right here that God can redeem them. Those people can get saved. It's not too late for anybody. As long as they're willing to soften their heart and repent, God can save them. And on top of that, when they are so wicked, it's even more so the case that God will get glory from that. We see that from Galatians chapter 1, verse 19 through 24. I'll show you what I mean by that. The Bible says, but of the, this is, uh, this is Paul speaking in uh, the letter to, to the Galatians, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Sicilia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed, and they glorified God in me. How powerful is that? He had such a good testimony because he used to be doing all these wicked things, persecuting God's people terribly. And now the fact that he's preaching the faith that he once destroyed, they say, wow, wow, this guy has really turned his life around. This guy is saved now. He believes on Christ and God is using him mightily. And this was someone you would have looked at and said, this guy's this guy's terribly evil. This guy will never get saved. We see, we see here that yeah, 
yeah, those people can get saved. So what did we see so far in the book of Jonah? We, we read verses 1 and 2. We see Jonah was told to go and preach to these people of Nineveh. We see God's omnipresent. His eyes see every act that is done on the earth, and he is just in punishing that wickedness. But at the exact same time, we see that he would rather have a person reconciled unto him or have a person repent than destroy them. He doesn't want to have to destroy them, but he will. His first choice is for them to do right and get it right. So what do we do with that? What do we do with what we've learned so far? Well, there's some application. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, the word of God has come to us also, and we should go out and we should go reach the world. We should show people that they need a savior, show them they're a sinner on their way to hell, but that Jesus loves them and wants to save them and wants them to go to heaven. Jonah was called to be a messenger, and so have you, and so have I. You know, we must go teach the world about Jesus. We have to. That's our calling. We must tell people that wickedness is destroying them, but that God not only wants to save their soul, but he wants to save them from coming destructions that they are coming destruction that they are bringing on themselves. So that's the first part of this. Uh, I hope you tune into the other parts. There's there's a lot more to go over. We've only covered two verses, but I hope you got something out of this and that it was a blessing. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.